Hello, I'm Steph. And I'm Al. And this is The Source, a podcast from Chicken and Chips Casting. We're bringing you conversations with people we love, talking about things we love and hate or feel strong feelings about. And it's all no BS. This episode of The Source is brought to you by We Audition. We are big fans of this platform and we plug it relentlessly in workshops and with actors. We hear so often actors can't find a scene partner for their audition and this is the immediate solution. It's a global platform that helps you find a scene partner on demand through video chat for rehearsals and self-tapes worldwide. So if you need an accent or just decide to tape at 2am, We Audition is where you'll find someone. It also enables actors to meet casting directors, agents and industry experts for one-on-ones through video chat. Sign up for a membership to access actors and industry professionals all around the world. You could also be a reader for other actors, which is a great way to continue practicing and playing with scenes. We're offering our listeners a 25% discount on your membership when you use the code SOURCE25. That's S-A-U-C-E-2-5. Head to weaudition.com to sign up. Source 25 for your discount. Hi, Steph. Hello. <laughs> Welcome. Welcome. Welcome back. Oh, I'm here. To the office. Yeah. <gasps> it's exciting. I'm here. This is my first day back. Yeah. We've, this is the first recording we've had together in person. Well, this is the first time we've seen each other, not on Zoom. In three months. It's been longer than that. Has it? Yeah. A hundred days? Longer than a hundred days. Four and a half months, I feel like it's been, since I've actually, like, It goes to show what Zoom you. means or does because yeah. you forget that you haven't seen a hu- that human. Because mm. I'm like, oh, I feel like I've seen you because I speak to you all the mm. time. But holy shit, four and a half months. That'd be the longest we've ever gone apart. Yeah. In nine, ten years. Yes. Definitely. Holy shit. <laughs> Aside from, yeah, no, that's the longest. Mm. Okay. Um, Here we, are. we were very COVID safe. We didn't even hug each other. I know. I'm not sure how that. Weird. But I know. It's just weird, isn't it? Because it's not even an impulse anymore. Like, no, I don't even. The impulse is actually to, like, move away from someone. Yeah. <laughs> even though we're locked in this tiny, tiny sound booth together. <laughs> yeah, we were very COVID safe, but here we are in a sound booth. Uh, hey, but it's got the meterage, so we're good. Yeah. Here we are. So, what's your source this week, Steph, oh, which I'm dreading? Oh, yes. Yeah, my source is going to really fuck your week. (laughs) (laughs) I can't wait. Uh, So um, after much deliberation, I have joined TikTok as the oldest member of TikTok and I am really quite sad that I didn't do it sooner, even though I have absolutely fuck all idea about how the thing works. I am just... So addicted? Ex- no, I'm not addicted yet, but I'm so excited because it's quite clever. It's very, cl- it's a very clever platform. And all of these people probably listening, being like, "Oh fuck, I've been on TikTok for years." Definitely. I mean, I'm almost 33. I must be the oldest person using it, surely. I um, hope so. In a way, I hope so. Uh, <laughs> but I've had people messaging me like when I was doing that that video diary when I was locked in quarantine with Ziggy. People were messaging me being like, you should start TikTok. That's what you should do. So now, like, 
TikTok must be the new stories. Is that right? Yeah. Is that is that why they're saying that? Well, I think so. Yeah, like it's just the video content, and also um, because you get get far more reach than what you would get on Instagram. Oh, here we go. So oh. if we're talking about numbers and people seeing shit, you know, okay, I'm not going to get all nerdy with my social media knowledge, but. Um, I like to see the num. I like to see numbers, and I like to look at like who, like what content is good and what people yeah. find helpful, and you know, because I don't want to be putting fucking shit on our Instagram if people are like I don't want to look at this. Um, but I'll put it on TikTok because it seems like there are billions of people on TikTok that just want to look at fucking shit all day. Like, yeah, it seems that no piece of content is too bad to upload to TikTok. So, do you know what that means for me? Heaps of content. Heaps of content, no filter. Oh, my God. And I think <laughs> what's important for everyone to know is the reason this fucks my week is because Steph's going to make me sign up for it. No, no, no. I'm oh. not going to make you sign up for an account against oh. your own will. But she's going to make me go on TikTok. Yeah. Yeah, that's even worse. Because I am nothing without you. <laughs> <laughs> See, this is how I get her. I'm trouble <clears throat> yeah so the first I so, haven't even figured out Instagram like, I know it's a really but maybe maybe this is your calling maybe you can start afresh on TikTok and maybe TikTok will be your thing also when I sent out the email saying yeah we're gonna go on TikTok um I threw my computer in here <laughs> for a week um no no the first thing she wrote back was look I'm sure that you realize the amount of anxiety that this is causing me but I get it. Yeah. And I was like, hmm. I could see the excitement in your email too. You were really, really excited about this. And I was like, oh, I felt sick. I mean, let's be honest. There's nothing much that has excited me in the last sort of 18 months really, has there? But TikTok did it for you, yeah. It really got me going, going. there for a second. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so watch this space, guys, and watch Al be shit at social media again. Nah, you'll feature on it and it'll be all good because I'll just manage it and um, it'll be fine. Then I don't know where I am. I don't get to have any control over my presence on the internet. No, absolutely no chance. You just sign this waiver here in perpetuity um, for no fee. Uh, (laughs) Wow. I love this deal. Yeah, it's a good deal deal. for you. Okay. Um, So our handle is for the listeners and to Al, yeah, uh, at Chicken and Chips Casting. It existed. Of all the billions of people, no one is a chicken and chips casting. So well, why would they be? Very unique. We yeah. are. Um, yeah. Also, two of the oldest people on TikTok is us. Holy shit! So mm. the world heard at the same time as me what our TikTok handle is. Yep. Good. I mean, you could have guessed it. Chicken and chips casting, pretty straightforward. But um, so straightforward. Didn't but even how know we that? had an account. Yet. Didn't even need an underscore. Wow. Great. Okay, enough about TikTok. What's your source of the week? Uh, I mean, gosh, mine's not that exciting. I couldn't actually think of much this week, but I do think um, getting lost on a bushwalk with my two-year-old was uh, was oh, there. dear. Yeah, should have listened to her. She she actually knew the right way. Oh, and I didn't trust her because she doesn't know the difference between yellow and orange. So I was like, no, kid. <laughs> We're not going that way. Next minute, we've gone, we've walked a lot further than usual and we've ended up at a different lookout. And I was like, oh, how do I get back to the other one? 
Then we went real schlepping into some gullies and bush bashing. She ended up with leeches. Wow. I really, yeah. You really she went bush. Very, she was solid, though. She yep. walked for an hour and a half, didn't whinge, and she just went with the flow. Mm-hmm. Um, sung some songs along the way, and I okay. made it back. And okay. then when we finally got back to the, the original intersection that I got wrong, she stood there and looked at me. And I was oh. like, this way. Mm. And I was like, yeah. All right, I'll okay. pay that. And I was, I did question her for a second, but she was right. Okay. Anyway, that was my source. It was really fun. Right. Uh, I was gonna. My question was going to be: um, Did you get to the point where you were going to the way you were panicking that you didn't know that you'd find home? Well, no, no, okay. I didn't get to panic. I got to like we might have to turn back, and my panic. My only panic was I didn't bring enough snacks. <laughs> we all know Riley is she's the snack queen. She's the snack queen. Um, and we'd already eaten the snacks, and then I was like, oh. Oh, but now I'm going in a different direction. So what happens if I have to turn back and do all of that in reverse, and I don't have any more snacks? And it was getting to lunchtime, and I was like, oh, no. Fuck, this kid's going to eat me alive. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's what it comes to. And here we found her eaten yeah, alive by, by her, her own toddler. <laughs> <laughs> Who's now gnawing on her own arm. <laughs> anyway, it was fun. It was an adventure, and I, sh- I th- yeah, should have given her more credit. Mm. Turns out she's got a lot of resilience for bush bashing, too. Yeah. So that was fun. Wild. Didn't involve social media, though. No, I mean, you know, so getting back to nature is probably what I should be doing. Instead, I'm like, how does TikTok work? Oh, yeah, exactly. this is how it sort of works. Yeah. I still am like, I was trying to do something on it before we started this podcast and I'm still, I still don't know what I'm still doing. still don't know. Okay. Well, anyway, I'll come back is... next week with some more tips on that. Yeah, and probably everyone's TikTok, I don't know, feed? Is it a feed? Yeah, it's a feed. It's just like a never-ending spiral of videos. But Sounds like the a dangerous thing place for with you. it, yeah, the thing with it is is that the algorithm is insane. Like if you if you look at one thing that you might be mildly interested in, you just get into a rabbit warren of all things that you're interested in. It just knows you based on that one video, right? So like we can really come undone if you end up watching a video that you didn't mean to watch. Well, you can, but I think it, it's based on the amount of, like, seconds that you watch it. So right. if you hover over it for too long, yeah, it fuck. can really fuck you. Um, you might end up with some, I don't know what, I don't know what gnarly shits on TikTok. I haven't been down that rabbit warren very far yet, mm. but I'm sure that there's some fucked up shit on there that I don't wish to see in my feed. Um, I mean, I've looked at some weird stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I've looked at that. Anyway, I think also um, it's just a, it's... <laughs> It's like one of those brain-numbing things of like when you scroll through Netflix and try and figure out something to watch, but you're just like yeah. scrolling through this endless feed of videos by people that... You don't know. And also some of them, I shit you not, are the most terrible thing I've ever seen. But like people don't give a shit. They're no. just putting shit up there. They yeah. just And there's thousands of people that are watching it, like literally thousands of people watching the shittest quality videos. With people who are not actors. Well, I don't like, think it's not, it's not intended for actors. No, no, right? but, like, pe- people who are doing, like... Oh, performances. Performances in character that just sh- someone should tell them, no, stop. Because oh, fuck knows what's going to happen to those TikTok videos in the future and where this they're going to go. This is what I don't like about hey, it. Hey, but we're not putting out anything dumb. Okay, well, we'll see. Strategy. Mm. There'll be one. All right, well... Imminently. 
<clears throat> oh God. Digressing, uh, today's guest, we <gasps> love, we love, we love. Um, he, we actually cast him in a film a couple of years ago. The and Flood. The Flood. And he is a very well-respected, renowned Australian actor. He's a chameleon. He's self, a chameleon. Self-professed chameleon. And that he is. Um, today, we have a Socrates Otto. <gasps> oh. Yay! So, Socks has served time in jail, discovered barnacles, arrested Alf Stewart, been <sighs> shot, buried alive, and transitioned from male to female. A chameleon in the truest sense of the word, his branches include director, producer, podcaster, voiceover artist, writer, and acting coach. He was awarded the 2020 Broadway Award for Best Actor in a Play for his role as Silver Vaccaro in the Australian premiere of Tennessee Williams' Baby Doll, where he took off his shirt and used a riding crop to devastating means. <laughs> he is part of the ensemble for William Zappa's nine-hour The Iliad out loud and can speak fluent Greek because he is Greek. Yes. Heritage. He directed digital series Homespun and both theatrical production and virtual adaptation of The Hope Song, which examines real-life stories about mental health. He is writing a hybrid memoir and bullying, about bullying aimed for secondary school readers, and it contains many 80s pop culture references that balance the traumas depicted. Can't wait for that. Yes. Such an insightful chat. Very insightful for everybody. Yeah. Um, beautiful man. Yeah. We touched on everything from mental health. We went deep real quick. We started deep. Yeah. Mental health, anxiety, um, trauma through childhood to his... Finding oneself again. Yeah. His inner child came out. Yeah. Study of self, which we yeah. talked about with Anthony Mindel. Yeah. Um, and... His tips on audition prep and his graduating actor tips as well. Yeah, because it is coming up to grad season, so we did touch on a bit of um, advice for grads mm. in this ever-changing world. So let's get into it. Welcome. Welcome. Hello. Thank you for joining us. (laughs) I'm talking over you already. No. Big no no. No, it's so fine. We talk over the top of each other all the time. Mm, It's been a lesson in our um, in our podcasting to practice. Tell us what is your source, socks? Well, it's not really the source of the week. It's kind of the source of uh, my life. Love it. Uh, But it's recurrent. Right. So I'm always asking myself the same thing every day, really, lately. And it's, will this matter on your deathbed? <gasps> I've started asking myself that. Oh, my God, I love that. Oh, thank that. God. Yeah. Thank God, Al, because I'm thinking whenever I talk about death, I've talked about death all my life, right, all these questions. And people say, stop being so maudlin. Stop being so fucking bleak. And, like, you know that saying, live each day as if you're last, mm-hmm. Right. Um, be in the present, all that. Very hard to do. Very hard to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, when I was when I was in the seventh grade, I wrote a story about a, a young man who um, finally acquiesced and started to live his life in, like it was his last. Live each day as if it's his last. And and I remember getting a 
Sydney Morning Herald certificate of excellence or commendation for it. And I, I was, I was, I felt like a fraud because I thought, yeah, my character can do it, but I can't. I'm struggling to do it, so I don't know how. So from a very early age, I was always asking these questions about why does this feel weird and why am I worrying about this? Should I be worrying about, about this? And so many people, and in my adolescence, even in the industry, were like, stop being so maudlin. Mm. Stop talking about the big things. Uh, and I said, and I was like, well, I'm, I'm not intentionally trying to to talk about, to be maudlin. I, I know my countenance might look like I'm confused and, and sad, but that's just me trying to um, uh, analyse things or unravel things. So I've been doing it all my life. That's why lockdown's been fine for me, because I'm always confronted by the bigger things, right? Uh but, uh, and in terms of our industry, I think it matters incredibly because we surrender our identity to people we don't even know, you know, and we start, and, and for a long time, girls, I was, I was always going, God, you know, um, I'm worrying about this audition, I'm worrying about that day on set, or I'm worrying about how this person likes me. And I was thinking, my God, I'm surrendering my myself to to all these people that don't know me and mm. often think of the think of me in the wrong way or in a different way. And a lot of people would say, "This is a long way of answering your question." So a lot of people would say, um, "Stop worrying about it. Stop worrying about it." I'm like, "Well, well, well I, I can't help it because it's 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 it's, it's inside me, and I need to understand it." Uh, and so it's taken me a long time a long time to start to live each day as if it's my last. So whenever I get something that that plagues me, I ask myself, and it's it's this is why I say it's recurrent, it's every day. Yeah. Will I worry about this if I'm being hauled onto a stretcher or in a hospital bed or drowning? Will I worry about that or will I worry about the love of my life mm -hmm. or my child mm -hmm. or my mother? And nine point no 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 no. In fact, ten out of ten times, I'm like, of course, I wouldn't worry about this insignificant thing. I'd worry about myself. Yeah, and it's not just the struggle. If I if I had a million bucks, uh, would I worry about my paycheck or would I worry about my success, uh, my brand? You know, who mm. I was, my reputation, or would I worry about my loved one, mm -hmm. yes. the person I love the most? And when I when I ask myself that, all my shit just goes woof, mm -hmm. off my shoulders, and I kind of go, "Fantastic, thank you." <laughs> so that's my source, ladies. I yeah. love that. On your deathbed, I have lent into that a lot lately because, as someone who lives with a very high guilty conscience, it that plagues me. So I've learned. I recently heard that I think during this lockdown was like, um, "That's what I need to ask myself when I mm. start to like." spiral and overthink something because I'm guilty over something that I don't need to necessarily be guilty on. I think, will I think about this when I'm on my deathbed? And 99.9999 times, I will not think about that thing on my deathbed or feel guilty about it on my deathbed. Yeah. So I love that. I've definitely. That's a great question for sufferers of anxiety too. Yes. I and guess. I do not think it's morbid. I don't no. think that's morbid. I think that that's enlightening to getting on with your day. I think it is now because a lot of people are starting to speak about wellness and, you know, mm. there's a lot of frauds out there. But, uh, you know, we've been, I think social media has helped. I think the interaction between uh, uh, coaches and, and mental health, especially dismantling the idea of what mental health is and what it means and how we all 
go through it. You know, mm, if we're feeling yes. sad, then that's under the banner of mental health and we have experienced mental health. Uh, I think that now it's a lot easier and not, and, and people don't kind of, I mean, it's still a lot of the world, a lot of people kind of go, well, I don't want to talk about that. Mm. Uh, but I think it's less uh, morbid um, than, it, than it used to be, you know, back in the 80s and 90s when I was growing up, uh, you know, a lot of people like, God, this guy's a freak, man. He's just, stay away from me. He's so down. <laughs> it wasn't. I was just analysing. Maybe it's my namesake, you know. Mm-hmm. The, Socrates, the philosopher, they they yeah. poisoned him. The government poisoned him because they thought he was corrupting young children when he was asking them the bigger questions. Mm. And they gave him hemlock and he died in jail. <laughs> oh, my, <laughs> my God. my namesake. <laughs> that is heavy. Oh my god! But I think that. But we were. We had no. Uh, I mean, we. I'm not. It's not really we. But um, the the access to information back then was not as profound. Like as, it was not as you know, big as it is now. You know, yeah. we we can access. You don't really. You know, if if you can't afford to see a psychologist, you can access a lot of information online that can that's practical and can really help. Right. So, yeah. I mean. I don't know. It's, it's interesting to mm. to talk about mental health in that time. way. Yeah. yeah, different time. We're more open now about it too. You know, mm. people talk about that every day. It's just a. It's a. It's really normalised now. Whereas back then it was seen as taboo. a real, yeah, taboo topic, and particularly I think for men as well, um, not talking about problems and being seen as the, you know, breadwinner and strong male figure. Masculine. You know. Yeah. Um, I think that that conversation is really changing now. Mm. I totally agree. And I love that. Mm. I don't know if it's as normalised as we'd want it to be. Mm. I think there's still a lot of fear. And again, in our industry, uh, unless you've got some sort of status or you've got some financial backing behind you, it's a lot of young actors who are frightened to kind of say, you know, I've had a breakdown or I've, you know, my anxiety is taking the, it's toll, I'm having panic attacks for fear of being said, look, I don't want to risk um, bringing them onto set or hiring mm. this actor or, mm-hmm. you know, I think it still mm. exists. And the more we talk about it, um, mm. the more people will feel comfortable to kind of go, wow, I'm not, I'm not alone in experiencing it. Mm. Interesting. I must live very naively then because I'm very used to talking about this. And I just, I kind of assume that it's normal that everyone lives with anxiety. <laughs> Well, I do think it is normal. But they do. Steph, they do. It's just I think people uh, still fear being judged when Mm. they speak about it. And they're Mm. still learning to speak about it. I think that you've come leaps and bounds in in your process and your progress Mm. of talking about anxiety and some people just haven't done that bit yet. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone's still learning at Mm. their pace. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, we've literally started every single one of these episodes in a therapy session, and then yeah. and then we're like, okay, and now let's talk about fun things. <laughs> but see, I love it. I Same. love it. Yeah. I've always, I've always uh, been fascinated by the mind and the brain mm. and the heart. The, the, you know, the the opposition between brain and heart, and uh, you know, and also as an actor, living these dual lives you know who I am privately who I am within the guise of being an actor and then Mm. finding all these joys and more about myself and you know confrontations through through throwing myself into different roles um I've always loved it I've always loved it um and I think 
it's taken me back to my childhood, really. It's taken me back to my childhood because as a child, I was free and I was I was happy and I was um, laughing and singing and, you know, thinking about these things, even though I wasn't too sure what I was asking myself. And um, I wasn't I wasn't scared to until my contemporaries or my family um the community was saying hush up little boy you're speaking out of line and i was ostracized for doing so mm. uh but now i've come full circle so you know i'm mid-40s now and um i feel like that kid again because i'm free and i'm able to talk about and incorporate it into all my work um and i think that energy is attracting people left right and center and that's where the opportunities are coming from you know mm, it's going back yes. to yourself it's going back to your core saying yeah i'm having anxiety uh, and this is how I cope with it. Because the other thing is, if, <laughs> if I may, uh, I'm not sure if you want to edit this out of the of the. No, thing, it's great. But, but it's also, I think the biggest key is, for me, because I don't think there's a real solution to anything. I don't really think there is. Um, it, it's like the gym. We constantly train our bodies. We get healthy. When we don't, we're going to, re, you know, revisit it again and start again. It's the same thing with mental health and anxiety and worry. But I've learned now to sit with them. They're not mm. foes. They're not my enemies. They're actually friends. And as soon as I kind of go, okay, I need to rephrase how I deal with them, I'm going to invite them to sit with me. They can sit with me for a while. But then after you've done your bit, off you go. Mm. You know, I can dance with them. I can have cups of coffee with them or cups of whiskeys. Mm -hmm. Not cups of whiskeys, glass of whiskeys with them or cups of whiskeys. <laughs> um, and, and that changes the relationship. I know how to play with them now. You know, yeah. they're not, they don't have me by the leash and I'm feeling frazzled. Mm. So, so really it's, it's, it's it's flipping the switch in my brain and kind of going, they're not bad things. Mm. They're not bad things. They're going to teach me so much about myself, mm. you know? Yes. Yeah, there was a great analogy from someone, I can't remember who it was, but it was maybe in a book I read, that was about knowing when to let them in your door, but then knowing how and when to let them out and close the door. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Letting them in, yeah. and that's an important part of the process, but then time to go, mm -hmm. close the door. Mm. Yeah. Really yeah. It's important. Interesting. Well, speaking of you as a kid, tell us about Tiny Socks. What was Tiny Socks like? Oh, Tiny Socks. He's still here. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, Tiny Socks. <laughs> well, look. Yeah, he's still here. He's mm. still here. He's come back. Uh right. Like, I, I lived in, I mean, I was, oh, God, where do I start? <laughs> uh, fascinated by the world, fascinated by nature, fascinated by what was on the television, fascinated by the sound of his own voice. Um, <laughs> uh, and I mean, like, I, I was, a, a, I think I was a superstar singer, rock singer, pop singer, um, rapper. Um, so I escaped into so many different realms, so many different realms. And, you know, we're talking from five years old to uh, six, seven, eight, nine, twelve. I think it was about twelve years. Um, there was an incident at my primary school, which completely <laughs> um, uh, started the chain of trauma in my life, and uh, I stopped going to school because it was it was the bullying was out of control. Um, and then I was silenced, and then I started to think everything was wrong about me because I was believing what the kids at school were saying, and I had no friends, and I was believing what my uh, well, my I, you know, it's it's funny. You, I, I felt I was safe 
living with mum and dad and my sisters, but then I didn't understand the idea of ancestral lineage and being conditioned. So, you know, dad and mum's pain uh, was coming out in their parenting and whether it was... Um, whether whether they were telling me I was bad or whether they were smothering me with love, it was it still felt safe at home because one minute, you know, it would be one extreme and then the other it would be the other. Uh, so, so it became normalised. For instance, let me be a bit more specific. If if you're being told you'll never amount to anything, um, and you know they. Re- they regret having you and you're hopeless, <laughs> but then being smothered and saying you're the most special kid in the world and you're going to amount to great heights. But the, but the idea of, of, of um, and I'm writing about it actually in, the, in my little yes. memoir, uh, which is also a healing process, very confronting though. Mm. <laughs> uh, but, but I guess what I'm saying is living at home, even though it was I was being bullied as well, by my dad, uh, unbeknownst to him, who would tell me some things that were quite horrible, and then but then he he'd smile at customers because we had a shop, and um, I'd be like, oh, this is this is normal behaviour, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I lived, I thought I lived in a safe haven, even though I was feeling the same way about myself as I was at school because I was buying into what everyone was telling me at school. So in essence, I hid. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had no friends. I stopped going to school. My room became my playground. Um, and I covered the walls with pictographs and writings and poems and artists and book covers and music covers and CDs. This is why, like, in the background, I've still got my CDs from when I was 12 years old. Um, and, look, there's a little boy taking a picture saying, I see you. I haven't grown up. <laughs> but, but, yeah, he was um, – but it's that it's – that that saved my uh, heart. That's what's that's what nourished me, my imagination in my room, which became my red planet, because I painted the walls red and I ripped the carpet up and I, I blue-tacked the wall completely with with uh, images of, of people that I've recognised or encouraged me to be myself, like artists who were mm. regarded as underdogs, Alice Walker, um, Ben Ockery, Sinead O'Connor, you know, you name it. Even even um, models who looked odd, you know. Yeah. Um, and I'd write poems on their faces, on their cheeks, like they were tattoos. Hence, I ended up getting tattoos, mm. and I didn't even know I would. But it's the same thing. So I felt the kin. I felt my family in my room and my imagination. Uh, and so that that was little socks. <gasps> Uh, and this is this why I'm saying, in a sense, he's still here because yeah. through my acting, I incorporated all that, all those angels, I would say, in my room into my work, but also that feeling of going through trauma as a kid, knowing my emotions, knowing those questions, being true to myself, being completely traumatised, frightened, who, all that complexity, all that nuance, all that sensitivity, which I think we all have, is why I think I've worked the way I have. And people have gone, this guy, this guy's a little bit out of the box, but he's interesting. He's a bit of a chameleon. Um, and although, as I said earlier on about 
going through the industry and thinking, oh, who should I be for this person? Will this person like me? It wasn't as enjoyable because I was thinking about them rather than myself. Mm. I would still retain my essence. Mm, You know, I couldn't completely disguise it. Uh, Not disguise it, it it didn't completely die. Um, And and this is why I say now where I'm kind of mid-40s and I've gone through, you know, what I call a breakthrough, I used to call it a breakdown. I call it a breakthrough. And, That's what and I really do. Kind of, yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. And, well, it is. As soon as I went through that hellish period mm. where I had no representation, I had no money, I had my family deserted me, I had nothing but my own raw self and my loved ones, um, a handful, who were there to help me even though they didn't understand what was going on here. Mm. As soon as I confronted that horrible, horrible, traumatic place, I knew I had to step through it. Everything began to heal and I began to return to myself and thinking, fuck, you're incredible. Mm. You know, you're actually incredible. What a resilient man to go through what you've done, what you've been through, to go through and achieve what you've done on, on your own back. Mm. You yes. Know? But, but, but also just the, the reason I, 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 I say I'm incredible and I love myself is because... I, my conscience was always dictating. My mum always told me, you've got to value everyone else and respect them and never be cruel to anyone. And I, I always maintain that. And my conscience would always tell me, always tell me if I was, if I'd done something wrong, if I'd done something wrong with someone, I'd, I'd approach them and I'd, I'd try and um, unravel that, right? And I think that component of myself is why I said, I'm incredible because no matter what happened to me, I didn't get any bitterness. I didn't get any anger. Mm. It was all about how I can better myself uh, in its in its inchoate way because I was still trying to figure it out. Um, and, and so now I feel that Young Socks is, <laughs> is finally um, standing strong and kind of going, right, it's time to play because I've got all that history and I've got, you know, I'm, I'm a man now, but I still feel like a boy and I, I don't worry about how I'm perceived. Mm, you know, if yes. people are coming to me, opportunities are coming to me that I, I, I'm not even searching for, really. It's just because I'm being wholesome me again. And people kind of go, I, he's genuine. He's not going to hurt me or take advantage of me. And if there's a problem, we're going to address it in, in, a, in a very mature, loving way. And it just it's just wonderful but also for me and you know also for me i don't want to i don't want to get involved with anyone or organization or a job where i'm going to feel icky it's just not worth it anymore yeah yeah no yep yeah definitely i mean we've had that realization yes we have and you'll continue to yeah and you'll continue to it's learning it's also learning how to say no sometimes Mm. And being comfortable with it. And be comfortable, yeah, be comfortable with it. And, yeah, sometimes the no was, I mean, we've, there's things that have happened recently that we've said no to things and we've, and then I've gone, fuck, we should have said yes to that. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, yeah. it wasn't right at the time. So, yeah, you have to, and I think as, as an actor that's really important to, to know when to say no. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Well, that's so nice. I like Yeah, but I, I think, I, I don't know where that, I don't know when that becomes easy. Well, it becomes easy when you're much older. For a lot of mm. young actors, I, well, unless yeah. you've been 
brought up well and conditioned well, yeah, I think you're going to struggle with saying no. Mm. <laughs> of course. Yeah. It's more the giving, your, your, yeah, giving the yourself permission. permission to say no to something that doesn't align with your values. Yeah. Mm. Then I think as a human that's I mean, we struggle with that day to day. important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, so then, as Little Socks, who pinned a wide breadth of things across his walls and made a room of many inspiring things, how did you land on acting? Well, it was because I was watching things like uh, The Karate Kid, oh, cool. The Stand By Me, and uh, a film called Powder. Um, and I saw all these underdogs on camera even the et and i went oh man they're telling me i'm okay they're telling me i'm okay i'm not alone and i thought i want to do that too i want i want to i want to meet those characters and be friends with them and you know i think it was how i'm like it it was just something that was hatching in my brain going you know one day i might be able to you know uh, inspire or influence someone else that might be feeling the same thing um, but it's so odd because everything was saying, don't do it, you know, a Greek boy, odd looking, um, never saw anyone like me on telly, you know, on the soaps that I was growing up loving. In fact, loving Prisoner, well, mind you, that was a, a, a show about women in mm. jail, but all those shows, you know, Richmond Hill and, and, uh, you know, Neighbours and, well, yeah, um, uh, so did you go to so, acting classes as a kid or no. you just braved NIDA from the get-go? Well, I went to um, an acting college. It was the Actor College, Actors College of Theatre and Television mm-hmm. before it got rebranded. Um, and I think they were awarding scholarships at the time. And uh, it was just an advert in a, news, a newspaper. And I went in, I can't remember if I auditioned, I must have auditioned, and one of my tutors, Ross Hall, you know, you always go back to your teacher that said something good to you, Mm, yeah? And I remember Ross said to me once, you know, if you really want to make a go of this, then I suggest you go to the three schools, Whopper, NIDA, or VCA. At the time, they were the three premier acting Mm. institutions in the country. And I said, really? He goes, yeah. I'm like, Fuck, I'm, okay, I'll, I'll audition. <laughs> so naive. I, I, you know, I mean, again, I didn't grow up. I had aspirations, personally. I wanted to sort of be a rapper. I wanted to be a singer. I wanted to be, a, you know, like like the kids in Stand By Me and have friends like that. Mm. Um, but the world was telling me the, the, other, the opposite. You know, my family was telling me the opposite. My friends at school, the teachers, you know, well, I was getting good grades, but they were telling me the opposite. The media was telling me the opposite, you know. Multiculturalism was telling me the opposite. So anyway, I went I went to um I went to the NIDA audition and I auditioned with Shakespeare because I loved reading Shakespeare. Um because I did I sorry, I went to um university after high school and I did um four years in creative writing and literature because I loved reading, hence the you know, my red planet mm. of 
of, of, of um, books and writings and artists all over my walls. Um, but I got into NIDA and uh, I, re I remember Jennifer Hagen called me and said, yes, we'll, we'll, we'll take you on. And I, I was working in a bookstore at the time in Bondi Beach and I, I was just kind of spellbound thinking, what, how? <laughs> they don't even know I've got tattoos all over my body. <laughs> <laughs> right? So when I went in and they saw them, they said, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> so instantly again, you know, because at the time, yeah, okay. tattoos yeah. were seen as dodgy. And they said, well, you're not going to fucking work. <laughs> That's so you know? interesting. And, an, and another way of, of everyone going, you're a little bit of a freak. Who is this guy? He's Greek. He's got tattoos. Blah, blah, blah. Not many people had, had, you know, I don't think there were many many people that got in, you know, uncovered. I was covered in tattoos at the time. I mean, I'm not head to toe covered now, but, you know, in comparison to, to mm, a yes. lot of people. Um, so, but I was as studious as, you, as fuck. Because for me, those three years were my career. Yeah. There was no guarantee. In fact, there was evidence that I wasn't going to work after I graduated. So I put everything into my my NIDA training. Um, and I think, again, that's why uh, I learned so much there, got the respect from the teachers and ended up getting a job in my third year. Um and you know my first couple of my first couple of jobs were naked, so I was showing my tattoos left, right, and centre. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, Wild. this is what I mean. So all it's funny. You you might think you know what's coming, but you, you never do. You know, no, you never do. That's why it's important yeah. not to buy into the noise. Yeah, all the time because the noise doesn't know what it's talking about either. Mm -mm. The stories. Hmm. Mm, interesting. So. Coming out of NIDA, when was it? D 2000? Yeah, the Olympics year. The Olympics <laughs> year. Who was in we, your... We performed, at, we performed at the Sydney Opera House for our graduation piece. Ah, Who was amazing. in your graduating year? Genevieve O'Reilly. Yep. yep. Uh, Amy McKenna. Mm -hmm. Sean Hall. Oh, yeah. Ah. Ryan Gibson. Oh, wow. Um, Henry Nixon. Mm -hmm. oh, right, yeah, Ryan Peter Henry. Sargent, Peter Sargent. Not many yeah. people have gone on, I think. To be enormous. To, well, not not enormous. Mm. I mean, enormous, <laughs> but not necessarily continue working. The year above us and the year below us, there were, a lot of people um, have flourished. But we were also quite complacent because we were... Uh, praised a lot our year was praised a lot and i think mm. people got you know mm. they thought they were going to survive out there or become famous pretty quickly but it, it didn't it didn't happen to a lot of us praised by who the teachers or yeah yeah, yeah. so right. the year above us and the year below a lot of people being culled and saying you know you're you you're not very good or you're uh, disruptive or you know, you're all rogues, but with us, it was like you know they're 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 a very good bunch. They're a great bunch, and there's some real diamonds in there. And I think the kids in my year, we you know, we, yeah, complacency was there. Mm. So 
uh, yeah, coming out of NIDA. So, yeah, coming out of NIDA, um, to, I guess this, yeah, it's probably a, a, this is a long-standing question, but um, what have you noticed or what have you sort of learnt, A, about the audition process and, B, about your approach? So, obviously, NIDA back then, I don't, I'm not sure, they, they didn't do much screen they didn't do much screen acting from... No. No. So how did you develop that part of your craft? Not, not you know, having much input from going to drama school in that area. It was terrifying. Mm. It's so terrifying. It was, I think, two weeks at the end of our course in the third year where we got shuffled off to the ABC to do some workshops and then had a week of TV scenes with a camera in front of us. It was absolutely terrifying. Yeah. It was a whole different world. And we were like, why haven't we experienced this before in three years? Oh, it doesn't matter. It's, you know, everything you've learned, you can take with you onto the films. Oh. <laughs> um, and I will disclose something because... Uh, uh, I think it's important. Uh, one of my very first auditions, I went in. I can't even remember who they were. But I went in and I did my audition and the casting agent said, okay, come over here. And I walked over and she showed me my audition on the monitor and said, see what you're doing? No. <laughs> it's way too big. Yeah. And I, I was just so distressed by my face seeing my face on camera because we i hadn't yeah right? i hadn't we didn't even have the internet back then mm. you know it was just starting really mm -hmm. so i was like is that what i look like <laughs> <laughs> so i couldn't focus she was mm. like be less and i'm like but, but that's me being me that's what i've done on stage and i mean i was always always trying to be as real as possible right uh and so that was a big, that was a big kind of, oh, God, I've got to, I've got to figure this out pretty quickly. Yeah. <laughs> but I learnt on, I learnt on the job, I guess. You know, I was getting bits and pieces. I was getting, in fact, one of the, <laughs> here's another tattoo thing. Uh, I landed a massive biscuits ad um, straight out of NIDA. I paid really well. And uh, they didn't know I had tattoos. Oh. Uh, and that was, they were about to dump me, but the director fought for me and they dressed me in long sleeves. But the casting agent changed a whole uh, questionnaire, wardrobe questionnaire, yeah, yeah. and said, Have you got tattoos? Oh. Where are they? It was so detailed. But I, I like to think that, you know, that was because that was of you. Me. In fact, he told me it was because That's of her me. nightmare story or him. Right. That's their thing being like, Don't be that person that doesn't tell us about the tattoos. Well, it's right. funny though, because now it's such a, it's only if, a producer says specifically to us, mm. we need, uh, like, the brand, and this is only for Commercial. commercials, by the way, um, the brand is conservative and they don't want visible tattoos. Of course. So the question goes on the form. But it's only if a, mm. yeah, it's only if a producer says yeah. that explicitly. Otherwise, it's just yeah. like, Otherwise, oh, well. it's tattoos right. preferred. Like, yeah. now like, we get the brief. someone like, edgy more. with tattoos. Yeah. <laughs> totally, yeah. totally. And I don't go. I don't get those casting briefs anymore. No, because you don't have enough now. Because <laughs> mine, mine aren't edgy or, you, you know. You don't have a face or, tattoo. Yeah, you got to go you know get the I mean? other sleeve done. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, but uh, 
and so yeah, I, I, um, the audition process was, and also it was different at the time because it was, it was a smaller climate, and casting agents were, you know, I don't want to say conservative, but it was the graduates that were getting the auditions, you yeah. know, and it was, it was them first, and word of mouth, and. Uh, so I was getting a lot of auditions. I got a lot of work, and primarily at the theater in the theater for for the first kind of mm, couple of years. Um, and again, when I say it was it was a smaller industry, everyone knew each other and everyone spoke about each other. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got very comfortable with meeting the casting agents, and they were very comfortable with my work and my reputation and my demeanor. So that became easy. The audition process became easy. Um, Primarily based on those relationships, yeah, yeah. Um, which was good. And I've always been, I've always been, um, I think I've always been easy to get along with. So that was in my favour. Uh, but I didn't understand just how important the business side of the industry is. It's something, again, that people didn't teach us. I always thought your talent would get you the next job, mm. you know. Uh, so while I was working for the better part of, you know, 15, 20 years, I was always thinking, Oh, great! It's my talent, but I, I didn't understand that it's. It, it was also the networking, which I didn't really get. You know, I didn't really know what that was. I was just being myself. But I know that there was a whole different side that I was not privy to. And had I known about it, and it's not sort of compromising yourself. It's just being attuned to, for instance, what a producer wants and why it's not personal. You know, and it's all about money and it's all about, um, uh, you know, there's a lot of puppet masters in the, in the business mm. and what they want. Uh, so as soon as you learn all that and, you know, it becomes less personal, and you know how to have those business type conversations. And I guess I learned that from being a director and a producer myself, you know, and a casting agent myself and an acting coach, you know. Yes. Then I kind of went, ah, this is this is how... You know, sitting on sitting on your side of things, it's a fascinating undertaking, and I, I totally respect it and love it. In fact, <laughs> I think I'd make a very good casting agent. So if you need, Ooh, good to know, good pitch. Right? I love it. Yeah. If you need a little a little support <laughs> handler or a, a receptionist oh. uh, on the side, uh, because it's fascinating. It really is fascinating, and uh, I get the process from the other side. You mm. know, uh, what was the second part of your question, Steph? Um, learning about audition process and developing, oh yeah, so you've kind of touched on it, developing your film and TV sort of because they didn't teach that, that discipline at at NIDA, so on the job. It was basically on the job. Yeah. And also I think when I became an acting coach, I would ask the kids, you know, what are your, or, or, or when I spoke to kids at NIDA and they said, no. We didn't get TV and film experience for years. I thought right after us they would start doing it, but they didn't think. I don't know. I think it was, well, we used to, that it was not that long ago because we used to come out of NIDA showcases because I've been going to every NIDA showcase since I've lived in Sydney, mm. so since I started at Fountainhead, that's like 10 mm. years, right? So 10 years of NIDA showcases. And I reckon it probably would have... I, don't, I actually don't know when, but I would come out of every one of them and be like, okay, they've all got it. They all come in for a go see or a general. Everyone comes in for a general and they do, the actors would 
perform their um, theatre piece from their showcase in the audition room that we'd already seen on stage, but they didn't choose a, a film or TV scene or adapt anything to be screen friendly. So it was very theatrical and very, but we'd already seen it. And it was only recently that we started watching grad showcases where you'd watch the the screen and then the stage. Bit. The screen pops down and you they watch did. the you watch the showreel piece and yep. you know and that's when it started. So I want to say it was. When we launched Chicken and Chips, yeah, like maybe. six years ago, six or, or maybe just yeah. before. Yeah, it's yeah. So it's recent. still recent. It's which so is recent. Mind-boggling. It's crazy, right? It's because crazy. yeah, um, because when there was a changeover of the head of drama or the head of the program, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So interesting How, that. Can I ask you guys a question? How yeah. have you seen the audition process change? And and let's let's ignore um self-tapes, but more about when people were coming in. Was there a change between graduates or I know you said six years you've had chicken and chips, but before then, before mm. then, for instance, Bounton Head, have you seen a difference in in how people deal with auditions or new graduates? Well, I think we used to always say we could tell a NIDA graduate or a WAPA graduate, particularly NIDA graduates often, before they walked in the room. It was just Good. there was a way they held themselves or it was a way that they analysed a piece of text um, and a piece of script that it, it was very, um, it was far more complicated than it needed to be, I think, and <laughs> yeah. there was a lot of pressure and it was very yeah, yeah. like... The audition was the be-all and end-all. Yeah, it was very intense and you could just immediately be like, oh, you're a grad, like... Whereas now they come in and they just sort of... Well, actually, I think the, the main difference we see between is now between the schools and it's QUT seem to be the most relaxed yeah. graduates and their showcases are always really dynamic and... They're well-rounded with performance. Yeah. yeah it's and oh, it's the, the sunshine. It's the sunshine. Yes. The I don't know. I was going to say maybe it's something in the water up there in <laughs> Brisbane. Um but, yeah, so now it's sort of a, a can you pick between the schools? Mm. And, yeah, we can. Um, and, yeah, I think the, the audition process has changed a bit because of the fact that they, are, that they are teaching the film and TV component. So there's camera awareness and, you know. Um, we don't see as many theatre pieces for a go-see anymore. No, yeah. People are a bit more educated on what is appropriate for a general. I yeah, think. yeah. Has changed. So So then yeah, how did you end up teaching? What drove you to teach actors? Work kind of stopped uh, mm-hmm. after Wentworth. Um, and I bumped into a beautiful friend of mine called Eden Fork. Mm-hmm. And Eden you. was two years below me at NIDA. So we always had a bit of a bond. I, I, li- I liked him a lot. And I bumped in on the street. He told me he was. Te- he told me he was teaching, um, and I thought, well, that that'd be an interesting kind of side project. Now that you know, acting's kind of stopped a little bit. I moved back to Sydney, um, uh, because I ha- I wasn't living in in Sydney for about eight years because I was travelling. I was living overseas. Uh, Wentworth was in Melbourne, um, and. Uh, yeah, when I came back, it's funny, a lot of casting agents thought I was still in, in the US uh, and also they didn't know I was in Wentworth because they didn't recognise me. Oh, okay. uh, but, um, uh, and so he said, yeah, look, uh, I'm teaching with Chum, Chum mm-hmm. uh, Echopola or Echopola, however he pronounces it, however people 
pronounce it. I mean, never, no one ever pronounces my name right. They always say so, so crates or so, <laughs> so, so, so I filled in for him. Um, and I thought, okay, this is, this is fine. I mean, I, I can probably do this. So I started my own uh, audition course, which uh, I, based on some classes I did in, in the States with a wonderful teacher called Annie Grindley, um, and I did that independently and I was really enjoying the process, which was basically teaching young students the reality of the audition room, yes. right? like the reality of what, yeah. what happens, uh, which is a big eye opener for them. And then we'd watch back their material and I'd give them feedback. Um, and then I thought, look, I'm going to align myself with Chum and Eden because doing it all on my own is, is a big thing. Um, and that was a, Chum's Sydney Actors Collective was a successful uh, business. So I became a teacher there. Um, and they, they don't profess a particular technique or there's no... Um, there's no mantra to the school. It's not mm. like a NIDA. There's no, it's basically going, come in here. We are genuine people. We are working actors. We know this industry. We're going to tell you the truth. Uh, and for me personally, it was to reclaim people's confidence in themselves and mm. to kind of go, you are worth more than you think you are and worth more than you've been told. Because a lot of people came in very apologetic, in Australia anyway, in America they weren't, but in Australia they would come in and be very apologetic and you know am I doing the right thing and it's like cut all that crap out mm. what who are you trying to impress can you please get back to yourself and let's have fun because why you why you want to do this why do you want to do this I'd go I'd want to tap into their inner you know uh Allison and their inner their childhood Alice, their childhood uh Stephanie bring them back you know yes. uh but also teach them about the business and teach them about the audition process. Mm -hmm. And it made me a better actor. Yes. Because yes. I was learning things, but I was also reaffirming things and um, I loved it. And it actually made me a better director, um, better communicator. Mm -hmm. um, hence why I kind of went, fuck, I love what you girls do. And it's really, it's really priceless and it's really a strange beast, like beyond casting agents. I love what you do in the social media climate because you're so interactive and so raw mm. that for a long time we'd hold these casting agents in another realm and say, I always think to myself, always thought to myself, casting agents are the most important people in the industry because they are the go-between <laughs> between your work and where it goes, mm. you know? So they make all the decisions. In, yeah. in a sense, right? Mm. Um, uh, but, but the fact that you both make yourself so available to young actors is, is, is so, it's so beautiful. And, you know, I, I thank you because if I was a young actor and I had you girls out there, I'd, be, I'd feel so safe, mm. you know? Mm. Um, and that's why, yeah, that's why... I think it's so important to tell the young kids how it is. Yeah. Really mm. break down the myths. Yeah. To yeah. avoid them going through, you know, complexities. And when I mean complexities, I mean, you know, feeling hostile towards themselves, developing bad habits, not being themselves, going through breakdowns. Yeah. You know? 
It's very lonely out there yes. in yeah. the industry. Yeah, it is. And you can tell when actors go in those go into those places because it's almost like there's a bitterness towards the whole process and the whole industry. Uh, industry and it it really can get quite toxic sometimes, I think, for some people. And that shows when actors come into the room and mm. audition. Um, but it's so nice that you say that because we did – that was our whole philosophy when we started Chicken and Chips was because – there was there was never any part of us that wanted to be pretentious or scary scary or, or we wanted to remain approachable and we wanted to make sure that our room was the most fun and we mm. say like we say this about everything that we do we wanted to have fun doing it we don't want we don't want it to be some anxiety inducing place where you're not going to do your best work as an actor mm. we want every single person to leave that room going that was fucking mm. awesome and i loved I loved the process and yeah. so it was for us it was about re reframing the audition process mm. in a pra- in in the practical sense of it. Mm. So, thank yeah, you. Yeah, beautiful. Mm. Oh, no, thank you. I I I'm, I'm totally aligning with that philosophy completely. Is advice as a grad, you graduated a while ago, but um you know, what would your advice be for graduating actors because that's coming up this year and that could be in general, but also in today's world, um, it's a very different time. And we, Steph and I are very conscious of what that means for actors. And like you just said, it's a lonely time. It's a challenging time. And now we get very concerned about what that means for actors graduating now. Mm. And we just, we're interested to know what your advice is. I pause only because it feels, it feels like a long time ago since I graduated and, mm. and the industry has evolved a lot. Things mm. have changed, have stayed the same, but things have changed immeasurably, mm. uh, not just because of COVID. I think if I look back on my trajectory and where I'm at now, I think one of the most important things that I would suggest is that graduates ask themselves what they want to do with their career. What, not necessarily where they see themselves in mm. five years, which I think is a chicken and chips question. Yes. But what they want to do with their careers. Do they want to branch out and write? Do they want to create content? Do they want to sing as well? Do they want to design? Is it primarily acting? If it is primarily acting, how are you going to create your own work? Do you want to create your own work? Do you want to align with someone else? Find your kin and nurture each other. Mm-hmm. I think there's so much stuff out there, so much stuff. We're bombarded on a daily basis by content and people are making things all the time. Yep. So don't be overwhelmed by that, but just find your kin and ask yourselves or ask yourself if you live with a kin in your brain, <laughs> if you've got a few <laughs> thousand friends in your brain, ask them what is it you want to do and and do it. I've had a lot of students going, just sticking on the acting path. And I'm thinking, you're a talented dancer. Look at the things you post on mm. Instagram. Oh my God. If I was searching for someone that was a dancer, I'd go straight to you. You're incredible. Mm, yeah. Why don't you, why don't you make videos of that or sell yourself in that way? Or you, you love it, right? <laughs> um, yes, I do. She said, so why don't you explore that side of things as well 
you know. Mm. Um, I think that's great advice because I do think that, um, like you were saying before, is that actors come out of grad school and you can get complacent and I don't think a lot of graduating actors really consider how much more work they should and can be doing to better their career, whether whether that's for an acting role or diversifying. I think all well, it's also just what. leaning into what you're good at as well. Yeah. And knowing what you're good at mm. and, and knowing that you're good enough, you know, to be able to explore different facets of the creative industry if you've got different hats that you can put on at different times. I totally agree. Mm. And I was, I used to say, man, I've been lucky in my career, but I worked my fucking ass off. I yeah. worked my fucking ass off because, as I mentioned at NIDA, I thought my career was over with the next job. Because mm. I was told all my life, you don't belong in the industry. So every job I went into, I thought it was going to be my last one. I gave it all, right? And whether I ended up in the job or whether I was on the cutting room floor, whatever, you know. Uh, but I, so I, I, have, I have been working for, I think, since 2000. And it's only when uh, hitting my mid-40s it's the work has kind of petered out is when I've returned to the stuff that I've always wanted to do but never, like, when I went to university and, and studied creative writing, I mean, I, I kind of went, I don't know why I'm doing this. It's not going to, you know, I'm not going to end up being an English teacher or whatever like that. I just love the writing aspect of it. So I've now, and, you know, according to... Uh, According to my tax return, girls in Centrelink, I'm on the poverty line. So it's not like I'm, it's, it's not like I'm you know, resting in cash and, and comfortable, but I'm very grateful. I've got a roof over my head. But I am now writing several things and I am loving it. Mm. And it doesn't matter if it doesn't see the light of day. Of course, I want it to. I want it to realise, but the process is so engaging and stimulating mm. that even though it's not directly related to acting, it is. It's intrinsic. They help each other, yeah. you know, or um, collaborating with someone on their project, you mm. know. Uh, so I, I've got the time to do that, but it also goes back, going back to saying, fuck, I, I have these talents that I've never really nurtured because I follow this acting career. And it was great has been great but fuck i'm enjoying it so much more now because i'm kind of put it there and i'm giving all my energy or equal amounts of energy to all these other things that i didn't kind of nurture mm. you know and now it's all orbiting around me and i feel like i'm 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 so much more so much more complete, I mm. guess, as a creative or so much more... Fulfilled. Be better mm. at my job as well, mm. you know? I, d I have less hang-ups than I did on a TV set or in an audition room or in collaborating with people. Mm. You know, it, it comes back to that whole idea of the source. It's like, will it matter in my deathbed? And and I'm so grateful to be doing what I'm doing here at this moment because there's no guarantee it's going to it's gonna continue tomorrow, you know? Mm. And it, yeah. that's why I give my all and I'm very present in the moment and it's so fulfilling. Yeah, interesting. You know? <laughs> it's good, yeah. I mean, it's good to have another focus too if you're... For, you know, if you, as you said before, when, when Wentworth finished and you were not working as much as an actor, you were able to teach and now you're able to write and it gives you another focus, you know, but it's still in the creative field. It's not like you're, mm. you know, making coffees or whatever, you know. Mm. It's still stimulating the creative muscle. 
there were many days when I thought, look, it'll be easier if I go and nah, make yeah. some coffee or, or get a yeah. get a job working in a library or you know in a greenhouse. Yeah, there's nothing <laughs> wrong with any of those things, but it's it's wrong. more just that um, when you're when you're in a creative industry and you're working in one of you know in a hospitality job to pay your bills, you're not stimulating creativity. Mm. You know, yes, um, yes, it's the muscle. Yeah. Anyway, that's a that's a you know that's a an actor question that comes up a lot is, you know, I'm not getting any work and I'm miserable and blah blah or whatever and yeah. and it seems like they're just sort of going through the motions and waiting for doors to open mm. and not yeah. not not really practicing that creativity. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's tricky, isn't it? Because you think, God, if I if I if I don't make myself available, then I mm. might lose out on something. But it's hard. <laughs> yeah. So we cast you as Miller in The Flood. Um, was that 20, that would have been 2019? Was it? Or been. 20, yeah, it would have been 2019, surely. Felt like 20 years ago. Pre, uh, pre-2000s. Yeah, I know. Yeah, so long ago. When yeah, was been, The Flood? Would have been 2019. I can't oh, remember. Oh, no. Yeah. Maybe you shot. Did you shoot it just before the outbreak? You know, no, we shot it before the fires. Yes, that's right, because then Kangaroo Valley. So that was 2019, wasn't it? Right. Yeah, because. Oh, yeah, because by 2020, the fires had come through. Yeah. Yeah. And then it was COVID yep. and we were all like the world's ending. Um, <laughs> Glad we got there. Yeah, because they lost a lot of their um, locations in Kangaroo Valley yeah, from the fires. Yeah, we shot. Yeah. And. Um, Victoria, who lives there, yeah, that was devastating. That is devastating. Mm. Um, can you tell uh, for 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 us what inspired you to accept the offer of the role, um, and what was it like being a part of that film? I love I loved Victoria's script when I read it. It was so detailed, so vivid, so confronting, un- unapologetic, um, very raw, and I knew it was going to be an important. Uh, film but also I liked the people that were involved um some I knew some I didn't I love the idea of going to Kangaroo Valley and I hadn't been there before um and also being in a in a Australian Western he was a bad fella mind you every time I get a character I validate uh why they think the way they do and why they act the way they do I don't think anyone's inherently good or bad it's kind of blurred so I found, you know, he's in a turmoil, he's in a Miller. Mm. Um, and I uh, got to ride a horse. Yeah, <laughs> so fun. Oh, I got to ride the horse. No, um, I, 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 yeah. Uh, so it was a no-brainer. I was like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Because we loved it when we got the email back from your agent saying that you'd accepted the role. We were, like, having a little happy... Because, you know, we we obviously, as casting directors, we have um, actors who we love and we love watching. And um, to be able to cast you in that film was, like, a moment for us. We were like, oh, win. my God. Yeah. yeah. We had a little oh, happy wow. dance. Yeah. Um, yeah. That was so, great. The, the, yeah. the collaborative... The collaborative... <laughs> my my <laughs> mouth is getting tired. <laughs> the, the, the people involved in that film to this day, I'm still in very, very close contact with. And that doesn't happen on many jobs. Oh, that's so you know? nice. Yeah, from the crew to the cast. It's like I'll, I'll 
see them or speak to them or social media them quite often. Um, very rare, but yeah, we bonded big time, big time. Oh, that's so nice. Yeah, that's that was a special, special yeah. group of people. Yeah, and it was such a unique, yeah, such a unique film. At, like as you said before, I when I read the script, I was like, yeah, this is unique, mm. and it was a different, story. a different story. Mm. You know, even though it was very confronting, it was, and the way it was shot was just absolutely stunning. Yeah, the mm. end. You know, but see, that's also why I loved it mainly because it was confronting. I'm mm. one for going there. Yeah, you know? yeah. Let's let's go there. And this is this is the other reason when all my life people were like, "Yeah, you're too confronting. Stop asking those big questions." I'm like, "Well, I'm not going to not to because I need to actually <laughs> exercise them from myself. Yeah. And that's not a bad thing. It's yeah. actually going. What does this sadness feeling mean? And what is this?" Uh, racist thing about or mm. why is this person doing this and you know yeah like let's have these discussions it's it's yeah. why hide yeah or why not address what happened in the past yeah yeah you know people need to know the truth mm. and yeah. victoria was like i'm doing it man i'm, yeah. I'm going there yeah and you know we had elders who were um were uh what do you call it when you get people to advisors yes consultants yes yeah. who who you know, approved everything that, that mm-hmm. we did. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. She's a fearless leader, Victoria. Mm. Mm. She is. Um, so when, no, we'll talk about Wentworth now, I think. Um, when you were offered the role of Maxine, it was before the discussion, because we, we talk now about authentic casting and conscious casting and do you know what I mean? And I feel like when you were cast as Maxine, that that conversation hadn't really been ha- happening then? Because how, how long mm-hmm. ago was it? Yeah, I think 2013. Yeah. So I think we were we really only just really started talking about authentic casting maybe, would it be five years ago? Yeah. If yeah. That, yeah. So yeah. if, so when you, what, what sparked you to accept that role, which I, I think you've kind of already answered this question, but maybe you've got a different answer for this particular role. And also, if that was offered to you now, would you accept it? Okay. Beautiful. Thank you for asking me that. Uh, it comes up all the time. Mm. Uh, it was a different ether. Yeah. No one really understood what trans was. They yeah. thought trans-ishening meant you're a drag queen or transvestite mm-hmm. or they didn't get it. It wasn't... It wasn't was still regarded as taboo. Now, mm-hmm. I always preface this by saying the producers did put out uh, a casting brief for trans actors. Yep. Uh, and what they got back was the trans actors didn't want to be identified as trans at the time. They wanted to integrate into society without being labelled as trans right. because it was still quite taboo. Also, the actors they saw weren't going the full tilt in terms of the emotional character's range that was required. Um, The casting agents had seen some of my work prior. They asked me to audition for this this role. And I grew up on Prisoner. Yep. Uh, As an actor who, you know, had a career based on out-of-the-box characters and being a chameleon, I thought, this, I can't. I can't say no mm. to auditioning for this. I can't 
this is this isn't going to come again. Yeah. You know, to play a, a woman in mm. a show, uh, and I think, sorry, yeah, I think it had just begun, so it didn't have the reverberation it has now. Um, but for me, I was just thinking more about the character, mm-hmm. going, this is going to be pretty special to do because, again, part of what I think makes Socks unique is that he questions everything. And all my life I was questioning people's brain versus their heart, their identities. So for me, um, the soul doesn't have a gender. And when Maxine came to me, I didn't think of Maxine as a woman. I didn't think of Maxine as a man. I thought of Maxine as a soul who was Mm -hmm. crying out for love, um, for someone to see their soul, Mm, right? So my two beautiful friends, Tabra Pathel and Yvonne Strahovski, who helped me with the hair and makeup. I was living in the States. Um, and I put down the audition and they responded and said, we love what you did. And I couldn't believe it because, again, it, it was like, wow, they're, this, they're, they like the interpretation I've done of this character. Uh, and I put a lot of my own self into Maxine. Yeah. So I never, ever thought of Maxine as a woman, right? As a man, I just, I've just said that. And I think that's why the character resonated so much and still does to this day. So there was no backlash. Mm. There was no backlash during the Wentworth period. Mm. Uh, through the show, a lot of people were still kind of going, well, what's, well, they'll see me on the street and say, yo, you played the transvestite. I said, no, 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 I need to educate you. It's not, it's not transvestite. It's not a transvestite character. So yes, okay. So when I when I'd see people down the street, or when they'd see me down the street, say you play the transvestite, I said no, it's a transgender character, and so uh, you know, 2016, I think the, the when did Me Too happen? Because around Me Too, oh, the people started to that could be 2018 or something. That was oh, 17, was it? okay, yeah. but it was anyway, a while. It, wasn't um, that long ago. it was deep into Wentworth when the dialogue started uh, happening around the world about what transgender meant Mm. uh but uh yeah i was very lucky to have scored that role at the time yeah uh because i pretty sure that uh if i was if the i wouldn't get the brief now definitely Mm. not Mm -mm. mind you the brief also was someone that looks unambiguously like a male because they've just recently transitioned, mm-hmm. you know. So I fit the brief mm-hmm. physically as well um, and did a lot of research on, you know, body and what happens with hormones and, you know, um, the voice box and mm-hmm. how that doesn't change if you transition uh, at a later part of your life. So it was all, you know, I was ticking all those boxes. But for me it was all about the the soul, right, yeah. the heart of the character. Um, but, yeah, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't. I think these days the idea of authentic and diverse casting is fantastic Um, and people do get quite cross if uh, you don't get a real deaf person or a real blind person or a real trans person in a Mm. role these days and uh, I get it, you know. Mm. 
What do yeah. you guys think about that? Um, I think it comes back to what you said as well about, um, you know, the producers did what they did. Um, I think there's a big, com- it's a bigger conversation to be had about the right person for a right role and there's a lot of things that weigh into that authentically ticking boxes like you're saying of what's the right time in a transition process and the story and there's so many components to it. Yeah, I think... But we're big advocates on authentic casting. Yeah, but it, but it's, it is difficult because those uh, people from marginalised backgrounds are generally the ones who don't have the opportunities, you know, to, you know they may not have the resources to study drama or do classes or go to NIDA or whatever it is. So the platform for those people was not there. Mm. Um, so I think for, for us, we're advocates of trying to uncover these people who do want to act and be able to give them a grassroots level um, tra- training, even if it's just getting them in for auditions or having them self-tape or, you know, just putting them through those paces and even helping them to the extent of giving them some tips on where to go and study or where to go to class or whatever it is, you know, just to be able to open the doors that were not necessarily opened before. And also now I think we're getting more more stories being written for, you know, um, people from minority groups and I think that that role on Wentworth was definitely... One of a kind. Yeah, like, and and it has sparked more stories like that, you know, and more characters to be represented like Maxine, you know. Mm. So, yeah, Uh, I think it's a really interesting space that we're living in in casting now because we've seen, we've been so lucky to see so many changes in casting in the last 12 or so years that I've been doing it. Um and I, th- I feel like the rapid change in the last 12 years has been insanely rapid mm. and going at high mm. speed because up until then it was sort of just like kind of plain and beige, wasn't it? <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, I, it, there's still a long way to go, obviously, but I just think the conversations being had and the actual action being taken, um, particularly yeah, in the last five to ten years, has been astronomical mm. from what we've experienced mm. with with the scripts that we've been given and what we've been able to do with our casting mm. Mm. yeah mm. love that i love love that. it thank you um so we're just going to do some fun rapid fire questions now and this okay. is where we round it out bam, bam, bam. okay um and it's just one word or short short sentence answer okay. for each what's your most irrational fear Heights, like bungee jumping. <laughs> me too. <laughs> I hate heights. I get tingles on my feet. Every time I see a picture or something on, on, on TV, tingles on my feet. I'm like, no. Nah. I get the feeling in my heart where my heart drops into my stomach yeah. when I see right. someone standing on the edge of something or... Yeah, yeah. Nah. Nah. <laughs> um, have, you been on, have you been on the Big Dipper? Or what is it called the Big Dipper? The ride where they go, you take... You're up, and it takes you up the drop, and then oh, the, the, the giant comments. drop. And th- that's nah. where I get the heart thing. I've never been on that. Right. I'd spew. I'd pass out probably. I wouldn't be able to get on it. I'd cry. 
No, I'll, I'll hold your hand next time. Okay, have to I'll conquer hold your it. Because I've done that one, oh. the bungee jumping thing and the cliff thing. Oh, oh, oh. no. Nah. What and about I you? How about yours? Oh, um, probably elevators, lifts. Oh, getting stuck. Yeah, I used to be really, really claustrophobic. Yeah. Um, now I'm not so bad, but I definitely don't trust them. Like I. Yeah, I don't trust them. And if the doors, if they're one of those slow elevators that take too long to get to the level, like I start to panic. And then if the doors are really slow at opening, I'm like, oh, this is this is the end. You guys make the perfect couple then. You're claustrophobic about yeah. tight spaces and you out in the open. Heights <laughs> <laughs> going, nah, nah. Not for me. Not for me, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Into a box. <laughs> Um, all right. What do you have the least amount of filter about? The least amount of filter? Uh, uh, oh, I don't know if this is going to be a, a coherent answer to that. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, like, talking about 80s pop music and uh, singing the songs and not being ashamed about for that, the trivia, mm-hmm. like I can oh. go on about 80s music and uh, sing the songs and, and yeah. <laughs> oh, that's so good. That's a, bit, that's a bit dumb, isn't it? No, no. that's great because then that leads me into, well, then what's your walk-on song? My walk-on song? Yeah. Oh, um, Baby I Don't Care by Transvision Vamp. <laughs> I don't know it. Can I you don't sing know a bit? That. It's so specific. No, but it's the it's the wild thing riff. Da-na, da-na, da-na. And she goes, baby, I don't care. I love it. <laughs> Google it. It's fantastic. Okay. James, transition back. Baby, okay. I don't care. All right. You'll we'll love be playing it. that in the office after. Brilliant. Please do. You're going to love it. I guarantee. I bet we will. I love 80s music. Okay. Um, 89 that was, 1989. 89. Ooh, it's on the cusp. Mm-hmm. Best music, best year in pop music, 1989, 87, 88, 89. What, what, hey, yeah. stop pointing. What, uh, <laughs> what, what year were you girls born? 88. 88. Oh, my God. <laughs> you, that's fantastic. You were born, Belinda Carlisle released Heaven is a Place on Earth in 1988. Yes. Right? Yeah. Um, uh, I love that song. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So, oh, okay, okay. That's okay. Um, great. Hi, Don't carry on. Um, <laughs> what is the best advice you've ever been given? If you can't change it, it's not worth worrying about. Good. Yeah. Perfect. If you can't change it, it's not worth worrying about. Mm-hmm. And if you've got one foot in the future... And one in the past, how are you supposed to piss in the present? So good. <laughs> put that on a meme. That put that long. on a meme, on an inspiring <laughs> meme. Yeah. <laughs> Beautiful music in the background. Yeah. Um, all right. And we ask everyone who would you cast as yourself in a film about your life? Who would I cast? Well, there's a hum. You, you, you'd mm. think Socks would have a, a simple answer, mm-hmm. right? Um, I don't, well, a film about my life. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why Michael Shannon came to my mind. Do you know Michael, Michael Shannon, Shannon, the American? No. He is just 
like one of my favorite actors but then i thought it's like well no that's like there's no way <laughs> but i would love Michael no no Cannon. there's no limit. there's no limit there's here. no limits the limit play. does not exist oh i know that guy yeah yeah, yeah. Okay. Love he, it. he's stunning but like it would it'd be impossible and <laughs> no it no there are no it's you can no. access anyone yeah right um, no yeah, limits. yeah, look, well, he came to my mind for some reason. There's, okay. there's got to be some connection there. So I'll take yeah, my right. There you go. Yeah. Love yeah. it. Great. Who would you, who would play the role? Uh, who would play your role? Well, didn't we do each other? We've done this. So yeah. I've done yours as Kristen Ritter. Yeah, Kristen Ritter. For Steph. Who's Kristen Ritter? Um, she was, she played the girlfriend. Did you watch Breaking Bad? No. Oh. And she's, who is she? What superhero? Uh, Jessica she? Jones. Jessica Jones. Marvel's Jessica Jones. Is it Marvel or DC? I always get them DC, very confused. Think, it's probably um, going to offend so not, of people. So not Breaking Bad fellow's wife, his girlfriend. No, 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 no. Um, she, no um, Jesse Pinkman's girlfriend. Jesse Pinkman's girlfriend. She she dies oh. of a heroin overdose. Oh, oh yes, I can see that. <laughs> so I, but I used what? to have a blunt fringe, so it used to make way more sense when I said that and oh. people would be like, yeah, Kristen Ritter. Right. Yeah, it might be what different about, now. What, what about you, Al? I don't know. Who did we say for me? We thought we said Emma Stone, didn't we? Not Emma Stone. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> didn't oh, we? Okay, maybe Emma Stone. Or was oh, it Emma you. Watson? Maybe it was Emma it Watson. It was the, one of the Emmas. One of the Emmas. I think maybe it was oh, Emma, yes. Watson. Yes. Emma Watson. Yes. Emma Watson. Yes. The, the mm. American, no, there's two Emma Watsons. Emma Watson, the British. British, Harry, Harry Potter. Oh, <laughs> oh so Harry not, who's Emma. the one that played Breaking the Waves? That Emily. Oh, is oh. it Emma? Emma. Have you seen Breaking the Waves? No, I don't Can you please watch that? Yes. Breaking it's the on waves. The list immediately. Lars von Trier. Okay. Oh yeah. Hang on. Yeah. Isn't he? Isn't isn't he from? Li- no. Am I going to say something stupid here? Is he from Limp, Limp Biscuit? No. That's <laughs> Lars. I did say something. Yeah, you stupid. went ahead and Lars. said it anyway. <laughs> oh, I love it. Can that actually? Can actually that be the? Oh teaser shit! This, this is the teaser. <laughs> Lars von Trier just happens to be one of the most uh, accomplished, formidable, controversial directors in the history of cinema. Oh, it's, oh, so it's a direct- Yeah, no, 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 so no. Uh, yeah. Hang on, who's the Limp Biscuit guy? The same, right? It's the, sa- the his same. His name's Lars, isn't he? <laughs> Look, isn't I'm sure Lars? there's more than one. I don't know. I don't know. Just but, fucked this well, up, Limp I? Biscuit. But anyway, Breaking the Waves is a gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous okay. movie with we'll Emily it. Watson. Another Emily Watson. Oh no, Emma who? Watson is the the one we oh, said. Oh, Emma, Emma, Emma. Right, who I can see, but also Emily Watson can do you as well, Al. Okay, I'm very generic. <sighs> I feel like every time we have this conversation, it's like there's all these people that can play Al because she's generic. Oh, oh, but... and so he just left. Oh. <laughs> he's like, bye, generic friends. No, 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 no. He's no, googling no, no. something. Oh, I just got this crazy I'm... message. Where I... are you? There I am. <laughs> oh my god. Okay, well I'm gonna edit that bit out. <laughs> I no, think you should not. You can't. It's the best. <laughs> That's amazing. It is the best. Isn't Lars von Trier? But isn't the guy from Lip Biscuit <laughs> named Lars? It is. I'm I not think making it that just up. It doesn't matter though, because I love it. I mean, I'm unsure I why I know it. anything about Limp Biscuit, because really, <laughs> I mean <laughs> If this isn't even right, I don't know where I've gotten that from. <laughs> it's it, That's revealing so much. I love it. <laughs> it's revealing so much about my non-knowledge of Lars von Trier, the director. Yeah, what's here? Band members. No, nah. You're thinking of Fred Durst. There's Fred no Durst? Lars anywhere. <laughs> when, 
Maybe I was thinking about him, but I just always thought that he was a member of Limp Biscuit. Yeah. I'm yeah. pretty sure you haven't done a crossover of the most accomplished director of all time versus Limp Biscuit. <laughs> that has not, you've not blurred them. That's not possible. I don't even like Limp Biscuit. I don't even know what I'm talking about. <laughs> oh, Christ. Yeah. That's yeah. a good blooper. Okay. All right. Um, well,. Thank Thank you you for your time and generosity and kindness and amazingness. This was so insightful and helpful and I know so many people are going to be smiling listening to it. Oh, I hope so. Thank you, girls. You've you've given me such joy by by seeing and speaking with you. That's lovely. Thank you. Please hit me up. I'm always always here for you, girls. I, I think you're brilliant. Oh, thank you. That's very lovely. Thank you so much, Socks. See you soon. Bye. Bye. Thank you. That's the end of the episode. So we hope you enjoyed it. And don't forget to like, subscribe, follow, and comment, share, whatever you do. Um, so tell your people. people. Yeah, tell your people so other people can also benefit from the clusterfuck that is Stefan Al. See you next time. Bye.